Let's look at the Word of God together. We are in Titus now, chapter 2, looking at verses 1 through 10. Titus, chapter 2, looking at verses 1 through 10. We're just making our way uh, through this letter from the Apostle Paul to Titus. And then, for those of you who don't know, once a month, my brother Thomas comes up and he's now taking us through the Gospel of John. So two fantastic, I mean, honestly, they're all fantastic, but two really great uh, books in the Bible, so much to learn. Uh, so many things to be challenged in and grow in. And so well, we are moving through Titus 2, and by the way, the kids are in here today, and I welcome you. I welcome you. This, by far, is the best-dressed one right here, I will just tell you that. Uh, I always point it out. I always let them know, you are, he dresses better than I do. He does. Um, but anyway... Children, I don't know if, if your mom and dad have ever told you this. Maybe they have. I, I remember maybe being told this before, but maybe you're, you're going to a place and they tell you something like, now listen, when we get there, you better be on your best behavior. You better be on your best behavior. I don't... Parents, have you ever said anything like that? No? Well, certainly some parents don't say anything like that. <laughs> I mean, that's been my experience <laughs> lately. I, I don't know. It used to be a common thing, I mean, because you just see chaos. Yeah, chaos. But um, in trying to introduce the text to you and, and what we'll focus on today, and by the way, this will be a multi-parter again, and, but, and we'll see how far we get. And I will cut it off uh, early today. Not, I won't go over. I won't. I'm just going to cut it off. When I get there, it's my new rule. We're just done. So if you're shocked, you're like, wait a minute, he's in mid-sentence, and he just stopped, started praying? <laughs> That's the way it's going to work. There's the clock. I see it. I'm paying attention to it. So um, it's my new, new Year's resolution. <laughs> I figure I'll start early. Um, but why do we say that, mom and dad, mom, dad? Why do we say, or... Why do, if you've never said it, but, or maybe you've said something like that, why do we tell our kids, we're going to a particular place, maybe it's church, you, you better behave, you better be on your best behavior, going to grandma's house, grandpa's house, I don't know. Something of that nature, why? Well, I mean, there could be a, a number of reasons, I might imagine. You might just not want to deal with the chaos, or you, know, you don't want to have to discipline the kids in, in that open setting of you know, sorts. I don't know. But I think in part, I think in part, and I think if you think with me, I think you would agree. I think one of the reasons we say that is a child's behavior is generally thought to reflect the parent's parenting or, or their instruction to those children and their values, the parent's values, you know, what's important to them, or I, w I might say their lack thereof. You following me? You generally, that's generally, we would agree with that, I think. Uh, children who behave, and I'm talking children under, you know, under your care and, and, and direct supervision. Small children, you know, that you still have some say over and control over. <laughs> um, children who behave very badly are generally thought to have bad parents. Is that not right? I mean, you see a kid acting like a fool, you think to yourself, whose mom and dad is this, who does this child belong to? 
What are they teaching them? You know, when I see a child just running crazy around a restaurant, jumping over the seat into my section, screaming for no reason, really, you got to wonder. And you see mom and dad even right there in the moment doing nothing. It makes you think, do they even know what parenting is, right? But you, do, you certainly don't think, these are good parents. These are parents who have taught their kids to be respectful, taught their kids that, to use their inside voice when they're inside, taught their kids to respect the reality that there are others around them trying to have a meal without a lot of digestion problems because of all the screaming. You know, I mean, just, come on, simple stuff, yeah? So I would say, and, and, and I think because of that and because we care about what people think about us, don't say you don't. We do. In one degree or another, we care about what people think of us, and as parents, we care about what people think about our parenting. It is because of that that we will clamp down on a kid, you know, and say those kind of things. You better behave. You better do what I told you. You better not get out of line, those, those, those things. Your reputation as a parent, like it or not, is, is impacted by the conduct of your children who live under your supervision and care. Yeah? And reputation, when we think about reputation, we might just define that as the beliefs or opinions that are generally held about someone or something. Well, beloved, likewise, the reputation of the gospel is impacted by the conduct of Christians who, theoretically, live under the supervision and care of the gospel, under the Lord of the gospel, under Jesus Christ and his direction and guidance and instruction. Now, we'll come back to that after we read this section of Titus and. I think today will probably be just primarily introductory, helping you understand even how uh, I determined the title for this section, but we'll come back to that, that thought. But first, a little review on Titus, just a little review to catch us back up. Paul, the Apostle Paul, left Titus, this is, uh, if it's new to you, fantastic, if it's not, just it's by reminder for you, but Paul left Titus behind on the island of Crete because... The fledgling churches or communities of believers on that island in the Mediterranean were lacking godly leadership or biblically qualified elders. And so Titus was tasked by Paul with appointing elders for those congregations. And you know, we spent a long time going through that and looking at that very closely because he, he laid out those qualifications that were essential for those men who would be chosen. And this was especially necessary in light of the good number of folks on the island who professed to be followers of Jesus Christ, but were busy leading other Christians away from the pure truth of the gospel. Paul wanted these, his words, empty talkers and his words, deceivers, to be silenced as we read in Titus, and for Titus to rebuke them sharply. 
And that was the previous section, actually, we just looked at, verses 10 through 16 of chapter 1. I titled that Clear and Present Danger. So that was chapter 1 in review. Now we come to chapter 2 of this letter by Paul to Titus. Titus is to provide specific instruction, as we'll see, or teaching So not only establishing of elders, rebuking false teachers, but he is to provide specific instruction or teaching to these fledgling churches concerning the gospel. He is to instruct them in what accords with sound doctrine. And we'll read that now, okay? So for context, we'll pick up our reading in the last verse of chapter 1, because remember, folks, remember, it's a letter. We break it up into chapters and verses. We did that later on so that we could easily make references and we could see sections that kind of go together, but it's just one long letter. And so sometimes you you need to kind of, it's best, it would be best if we could just read the whole thing every time, but we just don't have that kind of time to always keep that context. But at least here, I just want you to see verse one of chapter two flows out of what was just said in chapter 1, okay? It's, a long, it's just a letter. So chapter 1, verse 16, we'll begin there. They, referring to these false teachers, these deceivers, these empty talkers, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are, some pretty strong words, detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Now verse 1 of chapter 2. But... Contrast. As for you, who's the you? Titus. As for you, Titus, that's who the letter is written to, teach what accords with sound doctrine. And now, he elaborates. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Three. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, verse 6, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. 7, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned. So that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Verse 9, bondservants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. That's the text, that's the section we will be in for at least a couple of Sundays. Now, before we start to look at this section verse by verse, which is our practice, 
I want to draw your attention to something. Paul is clearly concerned, hopefully you can uh, deduce this from, the, from what we just read very easily, he is clearly concerned with the conduct or behavior of these fledgling Christian communities on Crete, right? You should be able to observe that just from the reading. He's concerned. He's speaking directly to that. But why? Why is he concerned? Why is he concerned about their conduct and behavior? Okay, we're going to look at it. And it's important because I don't want you to miss it because it is... uh, Something we need to keep in the back of our mind as we're looking at these moral instructions about how the Christian is to live. We need to, we need to make sure we don't disconnect from the why, at least here in this section, as we will see. I want to show it to you. I want to draw it out for you, and I'll continue to come back to it certainly, and especially as we move verse by verse, but let me show you something. In a different translation, uh, slightly different, and sometimes I use, as you know, different translations, the wording might be a little bit more clear, I think, or a little better, in my opinion, and so I use that. It might be more helpful. But here, in the NET, when he is talking to the older women, telling them, or saying, or telling Titus, actually, that the older women are to train the young woman, he says this in verse 4. Let's look at it again in, in the NET. Train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, fulfilling their duties at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands. I will say just this, just so you, to get this out of the way, generally speaking, a young woman was married, okay? They, in that time period, in that culture, so young women were married, okay? So they weren't, they didn't have huge single populations or single people, a lot of single people, So when he addresses the young women, it can be assumed most of them are married, and so this certainly applies in the situation. But listen, he says, fulfilling their duties at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands. What's the next thing he says? Why? The so that is the why. The so that is the why. I'm telling you this, here's why. Titus, teach them this, Here's why. What is the why, beloved? What does it say? Read it. Read it. Okay, so don't miss this because he's going to do this three times throughout the text. He's going to draw us back to the basic theme, the basic idea, the reputation of the gospel, which is what is at stake. So that the message of God may not be credited discredited. You notice he doesn't say so that their husband, so that the the young lady's husband and children will be happy. I mean, that really honestly, for the most part, when I speak to people or talk to people, that is often the motivation. Look, I'm looking, I want a happy, by the way, is there anything wrong with having a happy home or a happy husband? I'm going to say there is nothing wrong with having a happy husband. (laughs) And I am one happy, happy, happy husband. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with having happy, joyous children. Okay? 
But sometimes, like, that's it. People just want to know, what do I got to do? What do I got to do to have that kind of, that's really the primary motivation. I see that you're happy. People have said that. We see that you and Allie are happy. I would like to have that happiness, that just, and for the sake of having happiness. And there's nothing wrong with having happiness. But that is not what Paul, that is not why he writes these words. And I want you to see that. It's something, I would say, much grander, much bigger, much more significant than my happiness. Discredited. Discredited, that English word that the NET uses to translate the underlying Greek word means brought into disrepute, having lost respect or credibility. As the ESV translates it, that the word of God may not be reviled. But I just like that translation, so that the message of God may not be discredited. Moving on in Titus, we'll see it again. In connection to these instructions on how Christians are to behave and conduct themselves, we see these so that statements, or connecting statements, or why statements. Here's the reason why. In verse 7, Speaking to Titus in relation to young men, and Titus himself was a young man. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned. Why? So that an opponent, an opponent of the faith, an opponent of Christianity, may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. You guys, you critique these folks, but you really have no leg to stand on. Look at them. Look how they live. Look how they conduct themselves. It's shameful for you to attack them. Paul's concern, right? He wants, he wants to undermine the opponent. How? By living a life worthy of the gospel. By living a life that, that cannot be legitimately critiqued by the world. One more time. Titus 2.9, it's throughout the passage. So you see, as he's writing, that's what's on his mind. That's what's moving him to give these instructions to these church communities on the island. And remember, there is already a, a, a pushback against the gospel there. There are opponents. There are those undermining the gospel. The last thing he wants is for the church itself, the true church, to undermine the gospel by its conduct, by its bad conduct. Titus chapter 2, verse 9, there he says, bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters and everything, they are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative. And then, in verse 10, again in the NET, he says, not pilfering, what's that? That's stealing. Not stealing from their masters, basically. That's the context. They aren't to do that. 
but showing all good faith. Why? Here, instead of so that, it's in order to, same idea, in order to what? What's it say? Read it. Right. So, you know, don't steal because you don't want to end up in the, in the penitentiary or in jail. Now, that's certainly a reason not to steal from your master in that setting. That would certainly be a motivating factor. Don't steal uh, because you don't want to be harmed by your master for that. But that is not... He also doesn't say, hey, don't do that. That way maybe you'll get promoted to a high position. You know, be a good employee in order to get promoted in your line of work, which would be more in our context, right? Not, not, not much promotion for a bondservant per se, but maybe more responsibility in the household. That's not the motivation. Generally, we're doing, just be honest, think it through. What we, we do, people do, is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work hard, I'm going to do good to get the promotion, uh, to get the raise. Is there anything wrong with promotion? No, come on. There's nothing wrong with it, as long as it's gained legitimately. Uh, there's nothing wrong with a desire to get a raise. Nothing wrong with that, right? Just like there's nothing wrong with a desiring a happy marriage or a happy home. But is that the greatest motivation? And is this other motivation even in your consideration? That's the question. Are you thinking about this? Well, wait a minute, because this would compare to our employment-employer kind of relationship. Not pilfering, stealing from our masters. I mean, there's all, we'll get into that when we get there. But showing all good faith. So I'm going to be an excellent employee, a good employee, in order to bring credit to the teaching of God, my Savior. Is that your motivation? Is that your, I would say, and I, I would say it is the highest motivation. Is it your motivation? Is it, is it up here? There will be other benefits that come to the individual who lives under God's direction, and walks as he calls us to walk, certainly. But what's the motivation for that? It, it often is just a, a very kind of, just a one-sided kind of deal. It's not, it's often not this, which I think is a greater, not that do I think, I state, is a greater and most significant motivation for us. It is to bring credit to the teaching of God our Savior. Credit, beloved, credit, that's public acknowledgement. You know, like, you know, give credit to whom credit is due, right? That's how we use it. Oh, man, I didn't get credit, right? It was my idea, I didn't get credit. It's the same, right? You didn't get acknowledgement or praise, and it was, it was your, because you were responsible for that thing. That's when we talk like that, when we say credit. That's what the NAT is saying. Listen, in order to bring acknowledgement and praise to this behavior, do this behavior in order to bring acknowledgement and praise to God our Savior. Because that conduct aligns itself with the gospel. Another translation of that last phrase, and by the way, in order to bring credit to the teaching of God our Savior in everything, that's not, so he's not limiting that to just the, the bond servant's conduct. That certainly would apply to the older men, the older women, the younger men, the younger women. It applies to the whole thing. It's, it's the general theme that's behind this section. So the NIV puts it this way in 2.10, teach them not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way 
They will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. So that they might be treated better. You see, you see what I'm saying? Like, that's not, you know, that's not, he's not saying that. Do this so that you, you'll be treated well by your master. I don't know. You may or may not be treated well by your master. He, but... You will, by that conduct, make the teaching about God our Savior attractive because it is conduct that grows out of the gospel and that you say you believe and the Lord you say you follow. That is the conduct you are to have. The ESV says, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Basically, another way to say it is that so that they may show the beauty of the gospel that they may show the beauty of the gospel, that we, by our conduct that aligns with sound doctrine, might show the beauty of the gospel. My dear Christian brother or sister, does your living, does your living show the beauty of the gospel to the watching world. Think about this, does it? Does it bring credit? Does your living, and now I'm talking about, you know, like all of it, your living, your home living, your outside your home living, your employment, your grocery shopping, your driving, your parenting, your tax paying. That was hard. Your submission to the government, your submission to authority, your wifing, I'm making stuff up, your husbanding, that's a word I think, I think that's a word. Yeah, I just, it is because I just said so. Your husbanding, your wifing, Your relativating, <laughs> okay, doesn't work. You're being a relative, you're, you're friending, you're being a friend. Does all of it, all of it. You're giving. Uh, does it bring credit to the teaching of God our Savior? And are you concerned whether it does or not? So that, the one question is, does it? In all these areas, and, and then another question would be, are you concerned? And if you're not concerned, then I, I am concerned for you. I'm concerned for you. I mean, we get, all, we get worked up, right? We care about what people think about us, and we realize that if our kids run amok and act the fool, that people will think poorly of us. And, I mean, if that's their general constant pattern, then I think they, there's some justification Right? In that poor thinking. I mean, what are you doing? You know? Right? But we get we get worked up. We don't want people to think that, okay, fine, I get it. But I can't think of something to get more worked up about than how my conduct is impacting what others think about my Lord and about the gospel that I am telling people to believe and to give their lives to.
All of a sudden then, it changes the game entirely. That my marriage is not about just me trying to have a peaceful, good, happy marriage, but it is an opportunity for me and my spouse to display the beauty of the gospel, the power of Christ, the goodness of my God and His salvation, showing what it can do in a marriage. You see? It's a whole nother level. My work, same thing. My vacationing. My driving. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I struggle, but I'm saying to remember these things. What does my conduct say? Do people look, you know, as I've said this before, and they see the Christian bumper sticker on the back and they just shake their head because of the way you conduct yourself. Or they shake their head, and this is, beloved, you know, you know this is, sadly, this is true. I've, I've heard it over and over again. I've experienced it myself. La, 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 la. You hear this, all this bad stuff, and then at the end you go, and they say they're a Christian. Hmm? Who's guiding them? Whose who's supervision are they under? Whose care are they under? Right? The same thing we would say of a child who's acting a fool. People are looking at us outside of the world and going, are you kidding? Who's guiding their lives? Oh, yeah, they say God's guiding their lives. I don't want anything to do with that God. That's ridiculous. It's not attractive, it's unattractive. That's what they make of the gospel. That's what they make Christ out to be. That's Paul's concern, that they not do that. I mean, just on the flip side, too, the positive, when you see a child well-behaved, right? Well-behaved, well-mannered, showing respect, right? You know he didn't get that on his own. You know there was some training that went into that kid. And not just once, but over and over again. You know someone's behind that, right? It's the same, beloved. And you would give commendation to it then. You would say, wow, you must have one set of fine parents. Yeah? Beloved, you think it's different with the gospel? People see a life, a stable life, a life being lived out in the love of the gospel, a life being lived out under the obedience of Christ, live, following Christ, that life, in all of its ways, will be attractive And people will say, why? What's that about? Oh, they're Christian. See, that's the opposite side. They follow Christ. That's why they, they're like that. That's what Paul wants, that they would, people would see it and go, wow, and then give credit to Christ for that life, that good life, that stable life, that loving life. Here are some challenges. Don't worry, we won't get to the text. This is all introduction. 
But here are some challenges. We'll come back to it. We'll come back to it. I just, honestly, what I would love you to do is to, to with this in mind, with the three areas I gave you in chapter, verse 5, and in verse 8, and in verse 10, the so that statements, they're all pointing to the same thing. The reputation of the gospel is at stake in regard to the conduct of the Christians, of the, of the communities, the, the churches. This is why he's addressing this. It could go either way. They could have a, the, the, the gospel could have a bad reputation or the gospel could have a good reputation. It's all going to be based on the conduct of the people that say they're being guided by that gospel. So I want, I would, I want to encourage you as we step into the new year, and by the way, this all plays into it. It couldn't be better timing. I don't really try to plan all these things, but they just kind of come together. But there are reasons why I pick particular curriculum, respectable sins, you might think, is there such a thing? My brother asked me. There are not, but you got to read the book. There is no respectable sin, and yet, as the book will reveal to you, Christians certainly do think there are, unfortunately. But rooting sin out of our lives, even the, the sins that we think are not that big of a deal, rooting it all out of our lives so that we might bring credit to the teaching of God our Savior in everything, so I want you to read through the passage. I would love for you, I'm encouraging you, read through it, read through it, read through it, meditate on it, consider it, think about this, think about the ways in your life where you, uh, your life does not adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, your conduct, your behavior, it does not show the beauty of the gospel. It sends a false message. Okay? I would say as well, always trying to be play both sides, make sure I capture both sides over here. There will be areas in your life. So I would, I would say for us, for Allie and I, over many years of just God working in grace, I could say our marriage, it demonstrates the, the beauty of the gospel because it ain't because of Allie or me that we have the marriage we have. Because we're both just a couple of wrecks saved by the grace of God. But God's grace over the years, and, and I, I do attribute it a lot to this. I attribute it to the fact that we give so much marriage counseling. And so you're like, well, that doesn't make, no, it makes total sense because I have to teach this over and over again, over and over again, over and over again. So for all those getting counseled, that's their first time. It's my 20th, my 25th, my 30th. And so for Allie and I both, we've heard this so many times and boy, have we needed it every time. And so God has used that to work on us. But I would say, yes, our marriage, by God's grace, demonstrates the beauty and the power of the gospel. Now, there may be other areas of my life that's not true, and I need to work on those things and, and give myself to them and be intentional about them. But I can say, thank you, God, at least for that. And so I give God the credit for that. I glory in it. I glory in him. So if you see those areas in your life, awesome, give praise, right? But I'm gonna bet you're like me, and like a lot of other people, or even worse, there's no, right, where you have some areas, but maybe even worse, there's no area. You claim to be a follower of Christ. You claim to come under this gospel, the gospel that says, I set you free, that you might live for me. I bought you, I purchased you, you are not your own. I am your master. But I am a good master, the most wonderful master anyone could have, and I have called you to follow me and to obey me 
without exception. Right? That one. And I have set you free that you no longer have to live a life of sin, but you can live and walk in my righteousness. I've given you my word. I've given you the spirit as your helper. I've empowered you. That's the gospel, beloved. Now, there are some challenges the church faces concerning this matter, in my opinion, and I'll just give you two of them, and then I'll, or one maybe, and stop. And I'll come back. I'll pick up where we left off, because I want you, many times the church Christians are impacted by these things. They don't even realize it. It's just running in the back of their head. But not too long ago, I mean a little while ago, there was a big controversy and John MacArthur was at, kind of at the forefront of it. At least there probably were other men too, but I know John was at, at the forefront of it because he's local and so I'm aware of that. But it was the issue of lordship salvation. Lordship salvation. And so they call it the lordship salvation controversy. What was the controversy? It shouldn't have been a controversy at all, but here was the controversy. There were folks saying that you can receive Jesus, folks, and by folks I mean professing Christians, you can receive Jesus as Savior without having to accept him as Lord. Which I would, I would say that many gospel presentations still communicate that truth. Many altar calls still communicate that exact truth. They don't talk anything about his lordship. They just talk about being saved from hell. And yet, that is not the complete gospel. So, the other side, John MacArthur representing said, absolutely not. To receive Jesus truly and be saved, you must receive him as he is. You must receive him as Lord. In fact, it's it's interesting. You know, people go to Romans 10 and they find there, you know, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Yes, that is true. But in verse 9 it says, and notice that it says Lord, but in verse 9 it says, if you confess with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you confess he is Lord, beloved, Lord, all right, let me give you my definition of Lord. It is the supreme being, when when it's talking about Jesus, the supreme being to whom all allegiance, obedience, and worship is due. Right? So to step out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, to leave death and enter into life, you must receive Jesus as Lord, which means you're under him and being directed and guided by him, which means, consequently, you'll go from living in sin to living according to his ways, which are righteous, holy living. Godly living, your lifestyle will change. And if it doesn't, you got a problem. 
And so here the church is like, well, wait a minute. We got all these people. We got all these people who say they're Christians. They all walked down. They all walked down. There was a, we had a big, massive thing, and the, the man said, come on down. Raise your hand if you want to receive Jesus. You know, he'll save you. You, can, you don't have to go to hell when you die. And so they all did, and now they've all flooded into the churches, and they're all saying they're Christians, but they still live like the devil. They still act like they always acted. They still get drunk. They still steal. They still lie. They still cuss like sailors. I just remember the kids are in here. So we'll limit it to that. Sorry. But, right? Well, how do we explain it? Oh, well, this is how we explain it. Um, they just haven't made Jesus Lord yet. See, when they do that, they'll go from this level of Christianity up to this level. They'll be up here. This is another level. This is a higher dimension of Christianity. This is where now Jesus is my Lord. Down here, he's Savior. And so, yeah, I'm kind of just doing my own thing. I mean, I'm really kind of in control of my own life. And you know what? What's cool, though, is when I do sin, I just ask for forgiveness because that's where you find it with Jesus. But I haven't yet taken this next step up here to make him Lord. I mean, maybe at some point in my life when I really think it's important, I'll do that. That's nonsense. But that thinking, that teaching has spread into the church at large. And so the idea that my conduct needs to change, well, maybe, maybe somewhere down the road. But yeah, Jesus is my Savior. You believe in God? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to heaven. You are? Yeah. Wow. Because you live... Not like you live just the way you've always lived. So really? Oh, think about what I was saying to everyone. So, oh, that's all I got to do. Just say, Jesus, I, I believe in you. I believe in you. And then you're good. I need to be done. So I'll come back to this. But it's an error, beloved. Here's what I would say. The gospel brings responsibility to you if you believe it and you're trusting in it. There's a responsibility. It's not like, oh, I get to do what I want. No. If you are saying you're a professor or a believer of Jesus Christ, that you're following him, then you have obligations. You have obligations. You are obligated to live a certain way that you might adorn the gospel of God. That you may not discredit the message that says you've been set free from sin that you might live for him. You're under obligation. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. And Father, I, I thank you for the year that's before us, this new year. It's always good to have a fresh start of the year. And Father, People think of all the things that they're going to start out new and they're so excited. Father, I pray for us individually that we would take a hard, hard look, a hard look at our lives. Father, that we would even consider this, this text this morning, seriously consider it. Do, do our lives send a message about the gospel that isn't true? Or do they affirm the beauty and the power and the joy and the magnificence of what we are telling people to believe?
Father, do your work in us. We all need it. As a church, Father, it would be my prayer, my desire, my deepest desire that as a body, we would be a body that adorns, that shows the beauty of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in giving your life to Him, that doesn't confuse people about the gospel, that doesn't, God forbid, make even the gospel And you, God, appear unattractive because of our terrible conduct. Father, help us. We look to you. We rely on you. You are good. You desire these things for us. Help us to desire them with all of our hearts. And to set out after them with all that we have. By the power of the Spirit and your word. In Christ's name, amen.